0: Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics, with your host, Ben Husson, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 48 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics, I thank you all for joining us again here on another beautiful Monday here in upstate New York. Mr. song, thank you for joining us. Of course. I love the way you always say the episode is a question, whatever number it is. Because I don't really know. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wait, number are we on? 48. <laughs> episode 42? 48. Closing on number 50. We don't have anything special lined up for 50. Maybe I should do that. Yeah. I think you should do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'll do something. All right. All right. Well, I think you we-
1: should buy me a gift. That's the that's good way to oh. celebrate a 50th show.
0: I, is that... The paper gift? Yeah, obviously. Okay. But it's um, also one-sided. Yeah. Um, before we get started, uh, be sure to uh, like, share, subscribe to our channel, and uh, click that notification bell, and you'll be updated when we post new content like uh, we are right now, as we do every Monday here at 12 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. We got quite a good show here, Mr. Husung. Uh We had an interview a couple days ago with Megan Mansell, uh, the uh, AKA Mamasaurus Meg on Twitter. Yep. She's a personal protection equipment expert. <clears throat> and we broke down all things masks and, uh, got into the nitty gritty there. So that'll be at the end of the show. Even got some of it into plain English. Yeah. I mean, it was a good, I said, there was a lot of information there. So I agree. Um, the CDC made the news a little bit. We're going to touch on them. They, uh, they kind of cooperated with the, uh, teachers union to, uh, draft. decide, uh, yeah, to draft their, uh, reopening re- uh, guidelines for schools. We're gonna touch on that. Uh, also they, uh, <laughs> took a took a blow in court where a federal judge basically removed their authority to uh 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 keep uh eviction moratorium in place basically so now these uh somehow the c d c decided that they had uh, jurisdiction over whether or not a landlord could charge a tenant rent it's amazing yeah so we're gonna cover that a little bit um you know we're gonna i'm gonna talk based on uh, there there's a couple fee articles um the foundation for economic uh enterprise yeah maybe i have to look that up but anyway i got two of their articles pulled up here so i want to touch on base of those one of them talks about how basically lockdowns were the exact wrong move so we'll talk about that i think we've touched on that a little bit ourselves already yeah (laughs) but we're gonna we're gonna do more of that and then um right before the interview i want to talk about segregation alive and well here in new york state vaccinated and unvaccinated folks we're gonna have our own sections we're gonna have our own rules we're gonna get heckled from the from the vaccinated folks to the unvaccinated folks and look mm. down on, scorn, look at us. I can handle it. Yeah. So that's that's uh from our governor has uh basically said stadiums we'll get into more of this too, but basically can uh uh cater to two different classes of people here in our in our arenas, so the vaccinated unvaccinated. But I wanna talk I guess start um let's let's do uh sports and crypto since they seem to be merging into each other more more. uh, uh, every day here uh the new york giants signed a first ever sponsorship deal with grayscale which the largest uh crypto asset manager in the planet i think or at least in the country uh grayscale something like 46 billion dollars in crypto so they have joined forces with the new york giants now this is on the heels of the russell lacung pay me in bitcoin we talked about a couple players trevor lawrence from the nfl draft and a kansas city tight end sean culkin all being asked to take at least part of their pay in cryptocurrency, uh, this is kind of just the next chapter in that. We talked about the uh, Miami Heat also have a their their arena is uh, got a naming rights deal with a with a crypto company, and so now Grayscale enters the market. One of the biggies, headquarters in New York City, they they partner with the Giants. Is the crypto sports marriage uh, just beginning here? Uh, I, it's, I mean, it is just beginning here, but is it something that? Is going to kind of like just take root and take over in all sports? So is the question, is it a flash in the pan or is it here to stay? Yeah.
1: All right. I think it's here to stay. I do. I think that there's a marriage that makes a lot of sense. There's a ton of money in crypto right now. And every sports league is looking for organizations, entities, and industries with a ton of money. Also, the target market for both of these two entities is very similar because... Cryptocurrency is overwhelmingly most popular with the male 18 to 44 demographic, which is the same demographic you're targeting for most sports. I think the only exception to that might be baseball. And that's all because yeah. they can't get the 18 to 44 to turn yeah. in or tune in. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think that if that's what you want to get into, it's it's a great opportunity to advertise, to market, to promote the team with very little downside. Because even the people that are opposed to cryptocurrency aren't upset if a sports league has a cryptocurrency sponsor. Nobody cares. They
0: got money. Good. Use them. Yeah, and this should... I mean, the way the statement was worded by the Giants made it seem like this was going to allow them to be able to start paying players in cryptocurrency, and this was going to help facilitate that. So, again, just another... uh, uh, obstacle kind of like that was some of the, I feel like the nuance of what where Russell O'Kung kind of was so, uh, groundbreaking was that he figured out how to get the payment, right? So he basically put all the pieces in place and now other people are putting the places, the pieces in place ahead of time, preparing for people like Russell O'Kung. And obviously the giants are going to be in a primo position, basically having a gigantic asset manager, um, being able to pick their brains as they, they move into a crypto payment for their pl- athletes. But, oh.
1: Also a big competitive advantage, because same thing, of if you are inclined and you want to be paid in crypto, and the Giants will, but the Cowboys won't, that's going to give them a leg up. Sure. If you are not inclined to be paid in crypto, the Giants will, and the Cowboys will. So, so yeah. again, it's all upside, not a lot of risk, not a lot of downside, it's well worth doing.
0: Yeah, I think that this is, you know, I think more and more teams, and I'm sure that they're already doing this, uh, figuring out how to have some kind of crypto, you know, payment for their contracts and whatnot. So. Right. Again, just kind of like a more of a, uh, just, you know, crypto is going nowhere. You know, the price movement is what it is, and things are going to go up and things are going to go down. But I think the the industry or the the phenomena, whatever you want to call cryptocurrency, as you point out, is, is not a flash in a pan. I think it's here to stay as long as we have electricity. Right up until that solar flare. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you're going to want to empty those wallets, folks. Yeah, and then speaking of uh, <clears throat> crypto, we had a, kind of a, Pop culture meets crypto up on Saturday Night live here this week. I don't know if you saw your boy, Elon Musk. Uh, obviously I did not. You didn't I stay was, up. You didn't stay up. Oh, Saturday- I was up. Oh. I just wasn't watching oh. TV. So Elon Musk, uh, meme Lord himself, uh, all things doge, all things, crypto, uh, space, electric cars guy, uh, not too many business executive ended up on Saturday Night Live. I don't feel like not not a ton. Not that he's all that funny. I don't. Th- I mean, he's funny on Twitter, I guess a little bit. He's a troll, I guess, so he's funny that way because he's the richest guy on the planet and he's trolling people, which is funny. But I don't. Yeah, it never struck me as uh like one with comedic timing and somebody who I was like, oh, this is going to be a hit. And I I didn't watch it either. Um, and it turned out that it was I from the feedback that I was seeing was it wasn't all that funny. I'm sure it was just a novelty of having him on. So he is funny but he's accidentally
1: funny it's funny because his mind works so much differently than yours or mine and it's so that you can ridicule him you can laugh at him or you can you know maybe envy him or whatever you want but it's not necessarily better or worse it's a trade off because he is in essence from what i can gather a sociopath but he's a sociopath with really good intentions for humanity but he he doesn't have that same um I guess, basic understanding of human emotion and connection that most of us do. So I remember reading his biography, and he was asking, the author was asking about how you can do all he does and still maintain a marriage or a relationship. And he's like, I'm sure there's a way to do it. I just don't know what it is yet. I just haven't figured it out. Well, what are the hours a week that a woman would require in a relationship in order to be happy? Like, what would be the number? And she kind of got silent. He's like, no, really, what would be the number? Like, in his mind, you can ask that question of a woman, and the answer should be eight. Okay, I can fit that in. Like, he wasn't kidding, but it was funny. Like, oh my God, (laughs) like this dude just works this way. And now he literally, you could say what you want about how he's a bad guy or whatever else, but uh, he open-sourced all of his patents for electric vehicle batteries so that every other company could use them. Like, he literally just wants to get electric vehicles because he's overly concerned about climate change and thinks this is the answer. He won't take SpaceX publicly because it'll be so much money that they will get away from their core mission, which is to make human beings a multi-planetary species. So the only reason SpaceX is not a public company is because it is so profitable. They make so much money firing satellites into space that he's afraid if they go public, then with shareholders, they will get away from their core mission. So He's like a sociopath with really good intentions, with like with really good plans, but he doesn't have that basic human
0: emotion thing. So it's funny. And, and I think most people were watching in anticipation of what was going to happen with Bitcoin and Dogecoin, and Bitcoin went down a little bit, but Dogecoin tanked. Uh, about, about, uh, from 75, I think it went from 75 cents. It was the highest point. I think it was 71 cents, maybe just before the show started and dropped all the way down to like 38 cents, almost in an hour. So So are you buying the dip? Uh, people did buy the dip. It's up to 51 cents ish now here. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's check Doge live here. Let's flip this Is it going to be above your head? It's going to be above my head. All right. Ben, look, 50 cents, 50.45 cents. So rebounded a little bit. You know, somebody bought the dip. Read um, on
1: it a little bit. Thirty eight thirty-eight cents to fifty cents is a roughly thirty percent return in the span of two days. Like it, this is how discombobulated we are from reality on rate of return right now. It's like if you got thirty percent in two days and you're like, not bad. Really it was like an hour. <laughs> It was just a dip. Then. That's
0: just nonsense. <laughs> so why
1: would you even wake me for this?
0: God. Yeah. Well, like I said, m- most of these dips I'm, I've sleep through. So um, they, they happen instantaneously. This was just one. I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, there were people talking about, Oh, this is going to be a, you know, David Spade tweeted out something like to the effect of this is going to be a 90 minute infomercial for Dogecoin and I'm buying some, but it turned out to be the exact opposite. People had basically pumped the, uh, pumped the price up in anticipation of his appearance and, Sold the news as uh, most uh, effective traders seem to do. So outstanding, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's interesting. Let's bring crypto back to New York State, Ben. Yeah, what's happening here? So this there's this company who I've re- I would say recently, maybe within the last few weeks, become familiar with because I've been reading about some articles. Uh, Greenridge, um, it's a company that basically turned an old coal power plant in Dresden New York which I think is near Seneca Lake someplace wherever Dresden is sure. um, took a power plant a coal power plant and retrofitted it to natural gas and then basically started mining Bitcoin out of this power plant and so there's a New York uh, some lawmakers some do-gooders here in uh, New York State uh, both in the um, in the state Senate and in the uh, state Assembly there is A bill proposed to put a moratorium on any new mining uh, plants, if you will, or retrofitted these mining operations uh, in New York State until there is an environmental impact study done on the outcome of retrofitting these power plants. Now, time out. This company bought and paid for that study already. So they were not, they opened four years ago, I believe, but they were, it was determined that they did not need an economic impact study at that time, that there was no reason for it, that they were not going to make an impact. They have, they have increased their, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, capacity, their mining capacity here, and they're using more and more energy as they do. Um, I don't know that it still matters, but this this is basically where we're at now. So we have bills in the, in, on the state, Assembly and the in the state Senate, both basically uh, looking to put a moratorium on Bitcoin mining. There's something like thirty existing ob- or you know shut down power plants in New York State that all could serve as uh, potential replicas of this Greenridge um, uh, power plant. And so the lawmakers, the good are trying to make sure that uh, all this is going to be uh, energy efficient, I guess, before we uh, uh, jump into the mining. So I guess this is just. You know, there's some mining operations going on, like uh, the old Alcoa factory up in uh, Messina. I think is uh, that place um, is 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 rocking and rolling, one of the bigger ones in the in the country, if not the world, up there. And these replicas, like this Green Ridge Generations uh, uh, operation, is looks like New York State is just going to run them out of business, right? So it looks like they're going to run them out of this state and force them to some other state, because not everybody's going to basically, you know, care as much as Rachel May does whether or not uh Bitcoin operations are are emitting some kind of uh pollutant, I mean they are, but so is everything <clears throat> like everything's a trade off of w- we
1: emit pollution, like we are what breathes out carbon dioxide i don't know if I how to tell that to people um don't say it too loud, I know right, they ban I that hope, shit in your I head. hope they never connect those dots um but i I also admittedly this is wrong, this is not the right reaction, this is not. A proper way for logical debate on public policy but as soon as i see rachel may's name on anything i'm like why should i listen to you about anything
0: that's fair
1: i mean look you have you are the most i shouldn't say the most because there's a lot of competition for that but you are a bought and paid for pol- political hack who does nothing except what your marching orders are from those above you you were the head of the committee on seniors and aging who said well what's the point of investigating the nursing homes now I don't know. It's your exact job. Uh, Call me crazy, but some of us like to do our job that people pay us for. Um, So, all right, that aside, I know that's not a good rational argument, but it is my instinct. Immediately, whatever she says, I assume the opposite is true. Um, I, I don't know. Look, you want to do an environmental study? Great. I think most people would be on board with environmental studies for most things. The problem is that by requiring environmental studies, everybody of us knows it's a corrupted process where people get charged way too much money and get overly leveraged and start charging businesses millions of dollars just to give them the capacity to start doing business. When in reality, they don't care if you are energy efficient or not. If you can spend enough money lobbying to them,
0: they'll look the other way.
1: That, and I think that's my fundamental issue with all of this is I think you're just all full of it.
0: Yeah, and it's like the, the the town board there approved the expansion, you know, for what they needed to kind of, you know, so if the if the local officials there seem to be in favor of this, you know, yeah, New York State should be looking at them, but I'm not sure if this is, like I oh. said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this only but I just became aware of this uh Greenridge Power Plant here a few weeks ago, and then I happened to see this this bill get introduced, basically directly targeting that power plant. So um, I'll touch on this a little bit as we go forward and, and see how this unfolds. But I found it interesting that there's this potential for New York State with all these closed power plants. And actually, if you go back and do the the dirty digging into the 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 uh, the opening of the Greenridge Plant, it's not all that. Uh, it's kind of Thirty as well with cuomo and a bunch of other nonsense yeah, i mean that's so exactly as, what i'm talking if, about you know, if it's, enough. it's it's in new york so this is how freaking I, stuff gets done here it's just pathetic but it's it pay to play it and it's
1: well known it's all over the place and we know it um i do think that why can't you let them run as you conduct the environmental study i mean truly why well, right, they're already up and running or they're close to it and you're going to put a moratorium until we do it like no just let them run and then do your job your job is oversight not prevention you can't do prevention. You suck at everything you touch. So, yeah, you, you waste two years of time for these people, and then you come back and either say yay or nay based pretty much solely on how much money they've donated to your campaigns and how much they have stroked your ego at a minimum. And now you get to come back and say, I did this to protect everybody. No, you didn't. You did this to flex your muscle to show how powerful you are and how much we need you. And they'll get a cut. And they oh God, will they get a cut. Right. and all it's going to do is listen ask anybody who's ever done a project who owns the land and had to get this stuff done ask them how much money it actually costs cuz i think we can all agree an environmental study should probably cost at most let's go with a million dollars would we all i would say it's probably excessive that, that seems a lot for your average project they're way more all right
0: where's the money going yeah. right all right so let's turn our let's turn our attention to this the uh cdc they got a couple uh things in the news this week. Uh, first let's touch all on that that's let's, let's touch on them and the reopening of schools. <clears throat> um so the American Federation for Teachers and the CDC and the Joe Biden White House basically were all in communication with each other leading up to the which I think was February 12th, I think they said was the um announcement for the school reopening plan and it turns out that the CDC basically on multiple occasions, took direct uh, influence from the teachers' uh, union and to to outline their guidelines for open. Ben, is there any conflict of interest with the scientific group of the CDC uh, and the lobbying group for the teachers uh, writing guidelines for reopening schools? Of course. And what would your concerns be with the teachers' union basically outlining guidance to the scientists?
1: Well, there's a conflict, and you're, you're talking a conflict between the people and parents and students who want schools reopen, and the teachers, and the it's not even the teachers, the unions that, for whatever reason, don't. And they can make the arguments about, well, it's all about the safety, except there's so much data and science and evidence at this point that there is no argument to make. It, you're so full of crap that it's unbelievable that you would even say this out loud. And the fact that people still believe you is a shining indictment of the very education system that your organization is so proud of. Um, so uh, if you have the teachers in the unions, which are, uh, look, unions are a beast like any other. Like, it's no different than government. It's no different than politicians. It is, you have your goals. Your goals are not the common good. Your goals are maximize the benefits for your organization. Okay fine so what's easier if you have an employee should I pay you and you have to come into school every single day and and pay for all these expenses or you make the same exact amount of money do remote learning and you only have to work literally five hours a day instead of eight same money what's better. That is also you get to have this as leverage now with more negotiations of if you can convince people that hey it's not safe and we can't do it and the school districts are not coming back and saying, like, look, I'm getting daily emails and phone calls from parents saying this is ridiculous. They're sending me studies. They're sending me this. We need you back in. Well, what do you have now? You have bargaining. So now the teachers union has an extra chip at the table if they can say, all right, we'll concede and send kids back to school if you give us this. So, the CDC is what they are relying on as the objective arbiter of information. They're not. And I think this is reality. Like, they're not the objective arbiter of information. You're dealing directly with. I get the counterpoint of, well, the teachers know what's happening in the classroom and this, that, and the other. Like, okay, sure. I'm not going to argue that, but why would that really impact? Why would you let them write the law? Why would you let them write the guidance of you're supposed to be the scientists, they're supposed to be the teachers, right? not the other way around. And I'm under no illusions that this is different than how almost every single law in this country gets passed. Right. Yeah. A lobbying group writes it and sends it to the representatives half the time, they, oh, Jesus, half the time, 95% of the time they don't read it, and they put it in a law. And if you think that's wrong, I I encourage you to go start researching some of the laws that have been written and who actually writes them. Yeah, okay. our, our whole lawmaking process is completely broken. It's a joke. <laughs> and so you have that. That's my problem with it is, all right, so the CDC, the teachers are turning around and they're getting to have both sides of the argument because they get to come in and say, uh, everybody needs to have masks on. The CDC recommended it. Well, the CDC recommended it because you wrote it into the guidance for them. That's wrong. Like now you're going to come back and use that in a bargaining position. And it affects all of us. I don't care if you have kids or not like you pay the taxes. We all pay school taxes for where we live. Your money is going to fund this ridiculousness. And the studies and the science and the evidence, it couldn't be more clear that school reopening is the safest activity it could possibly be. And instead, all they keep doing is trying to spin new information. Like, well, the variants
0: came out and they disproportionately affect children. That was actually one of the things they, <clears throat> they did successfully get into the law was basically outlining we could close down again if there was uh, enough of a, a variant breakout that we could basically just rewrite all these rules all over again right. immediately. So you like, uh, they okay. have an out.
1: They're saying it already, and I'm looking at it and going, well, what's the effect on mortality? Well, but they're getting sicker. Okay, well, you know, when zero were getting sick and then one does, yes, that's a big jump. But when zero were dying and now zero are still dying and zero are still transmitting to adults, which is what you're so genuinely claiming is the real issue, that they might pass it to somebody else, even though this has been studied and researched to death, that they do not effectively spread this virus, and it's a one in a million chance of them actually spreading it to an adult let alone somebody in a high-risk category, let alone asymptomatically, um, you're full of it. Like this, is, You're not genuinely looking out for the best interests of your people. You're trying to get more money. And guess what? Now if you're the union in charge of this and you're saying mass on everybody and I happen to work for a mass company, guess what I just might do with my tax-deductible donations next year? Huh, I like this union. Let me give you some money, man. Let's go over here. How about if I run a testing company? And then the money flows in. do I'm sure it's all on the up and up, and none of it gets handed off under the table or, or in cash payments and envelopes or in cryptocurrency. That- I, saw,
0: I saw a figure of $70 billion that was spent on testing alone. It's amazing. <laughs> $70 <billion>. Right, <clears throat> and
1: that, this is the craziness of, if I had any faith that you were acting in good interest, I would be a little bit more on board. But you've shown that you're not. Like, if you're genuinely telling me kindergartners need to wear masks, indoor or out, you are either... A complete ignoramus, or you are malicious. There is not. A, there's not a third option. You you either are. I guess the third option is you're not ignorant. You're just not a very smart person. So it's it's one of these three things. You're either dumb. You're ignorant of the science and the evidence, or you don't give a shit. Sorry for the language. You don't care, and that's what I have a problem with. Is it, you can't have it all these ways so now the cdc comes out and they're supposed to be this objective body and we're supposed to trust the science and follow the science and the c the teachers union comes out like this is according to cdc recommendations and then you find out they wrote the recommendations and you're going um what yeah okay like this is this is a joke this is like letting police unions write the rules on how what is what is an acceptable level of trauma that you can do to somebody's brain. That's probably, the, they are the most qualified to do that, but you'd be looking at it if you were the one that just got your your butt kicked by the cop, you'd be like, wait, what do you mean they set the rules? That's not fair. Like, well, no, it is because they know the most. And this is, I don't mean to pick on unions, this is true of, same with corporations that have laws written, the corporate uh, pharmaceutical lobbying groups. Do you know how much money pharmaceutical companies spend on lobbying Congress? Everybody. It's... It's insane. Yeah. The best example I can give you is uh, 2004. I don't remember the guy's name. Louisiana uh, congressman came in and said, I got a bill that we're going to pass. It's going to protect Medicare rights. It's prescription drugs. And it was saying basically the government could not negotiate pharmaceutical prices for the drugs. And so this guy from Louisiana under President Bush got it signed, got passed into law. George Bush signs it into law. This guy gets out of Congress, goes to work for a lobbying organization for big pharma, making up of million per year. Now, is that bribery? I don't know. Is that illegal? No. Is it ethical? God, no. And everybody knows what's happening. Then the real fun part is this guy goes and lobbies so hard when Barack Obama gets in office and says, we're going to get the Affordable Care Act passed and the pharmaceutical companies are on board. want to know why they were on board? Because they extended that rule. That's why they were on board, because they extended that rule. Congress approved it. President Obama signed off on it. So what I tell you, it's not a partisan issue. It's not a union versus corporation issue. It's none of that. They're all like this.
0: This is how business is done. In this That's country, terrible. this is how laws are made. It's a joke. And, and speaking of, I don't know, a joke, uh, back more on the CDC. So this, did you know? Oh, <clears throat> my God, I don't know anything I want to hear this. <clears throat> I'm going to read right from the uh, Foundation of Economic Education. <laughs> is that what it is? Yes. I thought enterprise was such a
1: good word. Oh, well.
0: Right from, uh, this is the uh, uh, Brad Palumbo who wrote this. I'm just going to read his first paragraph and then it's a question. So, did you know that unelected bureaucrats at the Centers for Disease Control, otherwise you known as the CDC, Ben, have have the power to unilaterally commandeer rental properties nationwide? Uh, no. Well, they do. Well, they did. A uh, federal judge has since struck that down. But that this the, uh, eviction moratorium, which is basically disallowing landlords to evict tenants, is coming from the authority of the CDC. Well, it was coming from the authority of the CDC. A federal judge has now shot uh, sh- struck that down. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Judge Dabney L. Frederick, mm-hmm. uh, striking down the moratorium of the city's logic would mean that so long as the Secretary or the Department of Health and Human Services can make a determination that given a measure is necessary to combat the interstate or international spread of a disease, there is no limit to this reach, basically. So they're basically saying they could do anything they wanted if they just basically said they were doing it in the name of uh, a pandemic, and which is what they were doing. And so now this has been overturned. So I'm not sure how what this does going forward, but I feel like this is at least a step in the right direction for removing this nonsensical authority from the CDC, basically not allowing landlords to evict their tenants because um, clearly that's been taken advantage of for over a year here now so um, I don't know what's your thoughts on uh, landlords not being subjected to the CDC's reign anymore I mean I think it's uh, it's the most common sense
1: answer of like look I, I don't want anybody kicked out of their house I don't but every time you, you don't just get to make policies everything is a trade-off you have to give something up to get something Ooh. even on public policy so, all right, great. The, the landlord who owns this property and is, is giving it to the, to the tenant for money, just an exchange on the free market, now is not allowed to collect money. Okay. Are you going to waive his taxes? Are you going to waive his insurance? Are you going to waive his... Is he no longer responsible for repairs? Is he paying property tax? Is it, right. Is, is, does, does he not have to do that anymore? Well, no, he still has to pay that. Like, um, well, how in the world is this on a public policy level? How is this a good idea? Well, the rich people can take it. Do you think that these people are all just rich? Like every person that owns rental properties is wealthy? Uh, they're not. You should meet more people. So I, I look at this and all I could think is this is the epitome of good intention, bad policy. Your good intention if we don't want people kicked out, especially not in the midst of a pandemic. Cool. Although I have to admit, I'm somewhat confused why. You are having such a problem if you're on unemployment and collecting the additional $300. Like we, these two things are simultaneously true, apparently. People aren't filling jobs because they're being paid more to stay home than they would make by working. People don't have enough money to pay rent, and we have to make sure that they can't be evicted.
0: I, they can't both be true. Like they can't be, it it seems that one of those is a given. Well, I mean, the first one is true because they don't have a rent payment, right? So they have, they have way more much money than they normally would have because their, their, their expenses are basically, you know, probably 50% less. So, um, and they're making more money because the federal government is giving them more money. So it's a, yeah, it's that's not. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a recipe. It's a disaster. Right. Yeah, it's.
1: I'm not I don't want to argue the morals or the ethics with people because it's it's sort of a moot point of like, obviously, we don't want people thrown out. I also don't want people to lose the house that they bought and fixed up for the purpose of renting it. Are there bad landlords out there? Yeah, there's slumlords and everything else. Are there bad tenants out there? Yes, they exist. I'm sorry, but there's bad people on both sides and good people on both sides. And the vast majority are just trying to get by. They're just trying to either own the house and collect a little rent money or they're just trying to rent a property and live. They're not good. They're not bad. They're somewhere in between. So when the government steps in and says, well, I I got this. Oh, my God. Now, of course, this is going to go bad. And, And the more that they try to control it, the worse it gets every single time. And so they just keep throwing money at it. Now you've created this perfect storm of negative, of, of all negative outcomes. Of, of yeah, no, of course this isn't going to function.
0: This can't yeah, work. The, the market is completely distorted. It's right. so it's it's so out of whack.
1: You can't have it. You're going for like we want to protect this one the 0.1 percent of the population that fell through the cracks by making the lives worse for 15 percent of the population. Like, okay, fine, I want to help the point one, too, but maybe there was a more tailored strategy. Maybe there was something we could have Focus done. Focus protection. Right. Maybe but. there was something we could have done at a, you know, God forbid, maybe a local level. Maybe it made federal funds available at a local level to set up and have some existing agency, like, you know, that is in charge of housing already, if that existed, to go around and have an application that said, if you genuinely are in danger of losing your home, please tell us why and fill this out and send it to us. Now, the people that are just taking advantage aren't going to fill the form out. The people that genuinely need it are. So it's going to, you're never going to eliminate all of the fraud, the waste, and the abuse, but at least you could minimize it by not allowing these overly broad things. It's the same reason the tax code is so jacked up on the high end, because you're making these rules available for some people, but you can never narrowly tailor it enough so everybody takes advantage of all these rules. That's how people end up paying so little in taxes, which I applaud the rules are there. Everybody should pay their fair share, and they shouldn't pay one more, one dime more than what the government requires their fair share to be. If you want to, you're allowed to give extra money to taxes. Otherwise, you shouldn't. So I guess that's the, the biggest thing is it's so unsurprising, and you and I were talking about this last year of this is going to end badly. There is no way for this to go well. You're asking people to take the brunt of this law as the property owner and, and to protect the tenants, which,
0: okay, fine, but why are we not protecting the landlords as well? Yeah, and I, I feel like for some reason the tenants technically might be due for the back rent, but there's zero chance it's ever happening. No there's shot. No shot No shot, shot ever happening. No,
1: no. No, these guys are just out, and I, then they'll come up with some relief bill to, pay, to bail Probably. out all the homeowners, yeah. but only up to a certain asset and income level, and none of them will play any games with depreciation or anything oh, else to get that in the air. And then the government just throws more money at a situation and makes it worse. We should do an entire series on how much money the government spends on problems that have gotten There's not worse.
0: enough zeros, Ben. I mean, there's, listen, there's not more enough on zeros.
1: drugs, homelessness, uh, corruption. Like, everything they try, they get more of when they're trying to eliminate it. It's the funniest thing in the world, and it's so depressing at the same
0: time of how much worse we make things. Speaking of making things worse, did you know that lockdowns don't work? you know i did as a matter of (laughs) fact i think we we had this figured out like last june um so i'm gonna piggyback on our first foundation for economic education article and go right back to a second foundation for economic education article this one by john miltmore uh miltimore sorry um talking about the effectiveness of lockdowns and he's referring to a new study uh this came out from let's see uh from the National Bureau of Economic Research, uh, from University of Chicago economist Casey Mulligan. So his the uh, I'll give a brief take of this paper. Uh, so the micro evidence contradicts the public health ideal in which households would be places of solitary confinement and zero transmission, right? So the public officials thought, hey, let's put everybody at home. They'll be they'll be quarantined. They'll be confined there. They won't spread this. They don't spread this. But instead. Uh, The evidence suggests that households show the highest transmission rate and that the household high-risk settings for the transmission of COVID-19. So basically, we sent everybody into the place where there was the highest uh, transmission rate for a year, and we wonder why lockdowns didn't work. Weird. Shocking. I
1: know. It's almost like the overly broad strategies shouldn't be applied to the entirety of the United States of America or even to the entirety of the state of New York. Yeah, Almost like... I seem to remember somebody making a big point about this last year. There are a few geographical, cultural, and fundamental differences between the island of Manhattan and Syracuse, New York. They're, it's almost like they're two very different places that may require slightly different strategies in dealing with a problem. I know that's wild. I know that's crazy to say out loud. But I just might be onto something here. That maybe the same thing that worked in New Zealand is there's some fundamental differences between New Zealand and the United States of America. I don't know, differences in population, in size, in culture, in trust in government. I don't know, maybe.
0: Yeah, like I said, I mean, that, obviously we've covered the lockdown failures for every single show, I feel like, um, 48 straight shows. People are like. still <laughs> claiming
1: that, that India should go into a lockdown now. And it's you sit there and you go... All right. When we were making this point last year of like the lockdowns did not work, they do not work and they are a bad public policy because the economic cost is too high and the economic cost does lead to loss of lives just because you can't see it as clearly doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It does. So you saw that. And last year, the response was nobody's talking about lockdowns. You're you're doing a straw man. Of like, well, yeah, right now they're not because the cases aren't up high and everything else. But you're telling me if cases spike up, you guys aren't going to start ringing that bell again? I, I don't believe you. I think you are. And sure enough, as soon as cases started to go up, like, we need lockdowns. The government needs to do more. Like, no. The government sucks at everything. I'm sorry. They have a terrible track record. You want to know the only thing they're really, really good at is killing people. They I, I lead the league. I mean, there, there's nothing that they do better than killing people. And it's it's sad, but look. Look at success rates. Yeah.
0: And like I said, I, the, uh, the, the author of this article here uh, sums up his article by quoting uh, Frederick Hayek. And I kind of agree with, I like his last little sentence here. Hayek's words should be displayed in every government office. And this is the, 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 the quote, the more the state plans, the more difficult planning becomes for the individual, right? So the more times this government is, is, is instituting a plan, we all suffer. We all make it. It's more difficult in our lives uh, as the state decides to plan our, plan our lives. So, I thought the that government that governs best governs least. You got it, and that's.
1: I look. I. I don't. I don't have any ill wishes. It's just at at what point do you acknowledge there is no worse vehicle than the federal government to address these types of problems? I, there isn't one. Like, it's so different. For what should the people of some small town or Cheyenne, Wyoming, do versus what should the people in Miami, Florida, do? That's probably different. There's there's different levels of vitamin D in each of these respective places. There's different cultures. There's different populations, population densities, traffic patterns, overall interaction, how many people you come in contact with. Like, this was obvious so long ago. And it was obvious we were talking about this in June if it didn't work. The data was in then. Like, well, it's not long enough and you don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, but you're talking about having to have a reversal of all the available data that we have. You'd have to. It's not trending in that direction whatsoever. You're not talking about a slight thing, and all of a sudden you could say it works. You're talking about a 180 degree turn. That doesn't happen in data, not often. If it does, there's some precipitating event that causes it. It. We didn't have that, and so all these people still saying like, "No, they do work. They could work. Look at New Zealand. Look at what was the other Japan." Yeah, no, like,
0: every single example fell by the wayside. Eventually, collapsed. Eventually, enough time. That's right.
1: Right, and the, and then it was this should have been so obvious so long ago because the reality is not everybody can fully quarantine. Not everybody can stay in their house. That's not safe for people. Like, think about how many deaths we caused just because people were too afraid to go to the hospital because they were so afraid of COVID. Even if COVID wasn't a statistically relevant threat to them, they died of something else because they didn't want to get sick with something that had a 0.001% chance of killing them.
0: And we think this was wise public policy? No. That's crazy. All right. Speaking of wise public policy, I love these transitions, Ben. You're feeding me nice. I got you. Our governor, Andrew Cuomo, <clears throat> he's not governor, my governor anymore. I, inc- I, inc- I included myself in this one. Right. Has determined that um, he's going to lift the occupancy restrictions at stadiums as long as you're vaccinated. So there's going to be sections where they can sit shoulder to shoulder with masks. Sorry, with masks, vaccinated outside at a stadium, but they can. No occupancy uh, caps at all, and then there's going to be other sections where the unvaccinated, the unclean, the segregated, they're going to sit in sections where they have to sit six feet apart for everybody, also with masks outside in a stadium. How is outside masking still a thing? Before we get into the mask part of the nonsense of both of these, so we now have we're going to have two fan sections uh, Mm. or sections where we're going to have the so so-called clean vaccinated folks being looking up over their shoulder at the unclean, uh, unvaccinated folks, basically looking on in disgust. I got to tell you something. Kind of okay with it. I mean, I don't mind. I don't want to sit shoulder to shoulder to make people I'm in, saying, in like, if I can get the times,
1: mandatory six feet, even if I was vaccinated, I'd go sit up there to get the space and be like, hey, look at this room i got. I can spread out, stretch, set a beer over here, my hot dog over here, whatever.
0: So It's not the worst asa- thing ever. Aside from the personal benefit, what kind of, uh, I don't know, future applications where this is not going to be so friendly to uh, us?
1: Well, let's discuss just the first off, complete lack of pragmatism in this. And well, I, I, we'll go there second. First off, you are outside. If I am six feet away from the next human being, or if I am vaccinated, why do I have a mask on outside? Why? You, if you're six feet away, if that's the requirement, you are by definition not in a congregated area. Yeah. I, what am I missing?
0: Uh, you're Well, I mean, you're just removing the fact that governments don't try to use logic when they make laws and orders.
1: Well, like, how do you even explain this to somebody of like, well, the people that are vaccinated and we're just going to assume that they can't spread the virus, even though we know that's not true. But that, that aside, they can't.
0: I don't want to go down there. Yeah, the road. I, I, listen, I don't care too much to... I mean, I think we're both in agreement that the six-feet rule doesn't matter, the mask doesn't rule. I'm more focused on the... Separatory. The, the, yeah, the, the actual, you know, stigmatization that would happen to the fans. Listen, I'm going to re- quote quote from co- your governor. Now, this is your governor now speaking. He's, mine, not, he's not my governor today. Fair enough. Uh, so, <laughs> Cuomo assured fans the new vaccinated and unvaccinated seating sections would be separate but equal. It's... <laughs> It's not like you can get a nosebleed seat because you're unvaccinated. So, basically, he's saying, "Hey, you know, we're gonna ha- you're gonna be able to you know get all the things that you want to get, kind of like the drinking fountains." So, just or, so I can be clear,
1: and I've, if you can see my hands on camera, that's great. But I'm gonna say, like, section one hundred and one, full of vaccinated people, all right next to each other. Section one hundred and two, full of unvaccinated people standing six feet apart. I think maybe they have some uh, sections. Smartest idea. I don't out. know. Are they going to keep one section like completely I refuse empty? to acknowledge
0: it in first-hand sight to oh not God, see love, what's happening. I love
1: every part of this playing because it's so well thought out. And here's the, here's where I was going to go with pragmatism and okay. practicality. Okay, we are pretty confident at some point boosters will be required from this vaccine, almost assuredly.
0: So if I get the first two shots but not the booster, can I go in? Uh, unless you can forge your uh, vaccination card.
1: But, so do I? Like, if the booster comes out, you're going to give me X amount of time so that I can enter the stadium. Probably if right I don't at the have stadium. the stadium. Or Probably right the, at right. the stadium. So you're going to booster shot me for every they're football doing, they're game. They're doing that. At, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, they're doing that at Yankees and Mets games. They're giving the, the shot, day and j shot, right in the parking lot. It's amazing.
1: So, like, this is my and issue. And you get a ticket. This is my issue with all of
0: this, though, is like,
1: all right, fine, but we, you're not planning for the future. Like, you're you're going to just adjust this on the fly and be like, okay, well, let's get all these new variants issued. Well, you know what? We understand that it's not practical that we'll be able to get all those shots out. So for this week's game, it'll be okay if you don't have your booster. But next week's home game. You will not be allowed to sit in your vaccinated section with your mask on and under six feet unless you can prove you've had the variant booster.
0: And let's let's put this in the backdrop of we've seen the stadiums in Texas where they're just packed full you know, no, no vaccination required, no masks like shoulder to shoulder packed. Same thing. There was a I don't think it was an MMA fighter in Texas and the seventy three thousand people shoulder to shoulder no vaccinated passport no needed no mask no nothing and yet here we are we got sections outside sections with masks six feet apart
1: i like this is the stuff that that really it has to drive you a little bit crazy and and this is again let's go back to the public policy discussion of if the goal is actually just to prevent spread transmission and, and contain the virus what about people that have antibodies? What about people that have pre-existing T-cell immunity? What about people that are under the age of 18? What about people that That's are... That's
0: irrelevant because they want you to get vaccinated regardless I, like, of all that. This is what I don't it's understand. All, it's all about the vaccination, right? I,
1: I get it. I just don't... I, listen, it's a, it's a money grab. I hope that is the extent of what this this rule is, but I just don't grasp it because there's so many flaws in this. I get why the politicians are doing it. I get why the pharmaceutical companies are on board with it. I get why the masking industry and lobbying groups and everybody else is in. I got it. I don't understand how the average human being walking around can listen to this and go, oh, thank God we got these people, and then turn to somebody else and be like, see, you idiot. You don't want to get vaccinated. Ha, now you got to wear a mask and sit six feet apart, and I'm going to sit there and go, I'm good. Six feet apart? Yeah, no, you're telling me I can't cramp in next to, like, Joe Canada spilling beer down my back during a game as he passes out. I'm cool. I'm good. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm happy. Give me six feet of space all around. me. I'll pay extra to go to that game because then I can just be comfortable. Kick my feet. Well, up you and can relax. probably do
0: that at the at the Syracuse Mets games anytime. Any you, you, can, you can six feet away because they don't never I sell know. out. But in the Yankees in a Mets game, they're gonna. I mean, basically, he's allowing full capacity for sections with vaccinated. So there, I feel like you're gonna see like a checkerboard and the stadiums where you're going to have full sections yeah. and then empty sections or sparsely density sections. And then, but if I was vaccinated and I went to a game and I'm sitting in my
1: section, I looked over at the unvaccinated section and be like, uh, I'm gonna hang with these dudes. Uh, I'm not saying in this section anymore, this is crowded. I keep getting elbowed in the face. So yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, no question. No second thought. I'm heading to the other section. But again, I'm a, I'm a science denier and grandma killer. So that's, yeah. that's, because- I mean, I,
0: it's <clears> tonight <throat> It's, it's, it's I don't know a cherry on top for this whole thing. This whole basically idea that we're going to create two tiers of classes of of citizens and that we're going to have these different set of rules abiding by them is just cannot end well. And this no. is just the beginning of it. And hopefully, this is the end of it as as quickly as it happens.
1: I keep I feel like at some level maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's subliminal. Like the people in government, the bureaucrats, the CDC, these people are, are like. When they have closed door meetings with that, excuse me, they are looking at each other like, you think they're going to go with this?
0: Let's see. No, I think it's the exact (laughs) opposite. I think they actually think that they're actually implementing good ideas and good plans. They're like, oh, these people are going to love this. Like, I think that, and then they're shocked when people like me or you are like, "Uh, what are you talking about? You're segregating two different people and like, oh, we didn't think of it that way. No shit you didn't think of it that way because you actually implemented it.
1: You actually, somebody like went
0: around. Because you actually segregated the people. We know you didn't think about it because you did it. I always laugh
1: whenever an idea like this comes out that has so many holes in it and so many things that are ridiculous and completely not based in science or fact, but just feel good. And I always wonder like, I, the best example is when uh, the Democrat caucus at the federal government put on like the African robes and then knelt down in the halls of Congress. And I was, and I'll, the question that I always go back to is like, all right, when you were in the meeting discussing this, what were the ideas that you said no to? What were the things you were like, no, nah, that's probably too far? Like, what what didn't make the cut? I, I I'm dying to know as they were discussing stadium reopening, what was brought up but didn't make the cut? Like yeah. bubble suits, gloves, it's, goggles.
0: There there's a disconnect from reality that's uh, unprecedented. I, I it's literally mind boggling every single day when they come out with these orders and rules and change like some of the press conferences are just like all right what the hell is this dude going to say today
1: I, they're all like that at this point of why in the world am i still listening to you you have so what would it take for somebody to look at andrew cuomo in new york state and even the cdc and just say you were wrong like what would wrong look like you're over here telling me mass work lockdowns work and i got to get vaccinated like what would not working look like to you because this is what not working looks like like, we've had masks on for 14 months, and in that time, cases went up, then down, then up again, and then down again.
0: Right with the seasons. Right,
1: like, people stopped wearing it, people started wearing it, people stopped wearing it, people started wearing them. like, no, it's seasonal, and the mask, while it may have some potential benefit that is exceedingly limited... We'll get into that in one minute. ...was never intended, in a cloth mask prior to this year... Nobody would have had the balls to claim that it was source control because they would have been laughed out of the room because there's decades of research on this saying, no, it's not. Yeah. Like, Well, surgeons wear it to stop themselves from spreading viruses. No, they don't. They wear it to stop themselves from spitting on their patients yeah. and, and bacterial transmission, not viral. Yeah. And it goes into the size of the micron and how they behave and all that's great. But if you, Australia, I think I brought this up once before, so I apologize for repeating myself. Australia had a rule 2004 when SARS-CoV-1 swept across where they threatened to prosecute any company that claimed that masks would protect them from SARS-CoV-1 or block the transmission. They say right on there, not intended to block SARS-CoV-1. They, they say it on the label. And yet we're all throwing masks on. Even the people that got the vaccine are like, oh, I just don't want to look like, uh, well, you. <laughs> all right.
0: Keep wearing a the mask then. God love you. All right. And so that brings us to the highlight of our show. Uh, we're going to end with our guest interview from Megan Mansell. Uh, she's a personal protective equipment expert. Uh, we break down basically all the science behind the masks. Um, I the one thing I found interesting where she talks about how because we you know I don't know if you know the CDC also came out if we didn't cover this but says that uh, COVID is aerosol uh, virus.
1: I heard that before.
0: I think you and I discussed that a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe. a uh, like April of 2020. May, oh yeah. Right. It was over a year ago yeah. that you and I were discussing that. So the CDC has now come out and fully acknowledged that the, uh, the transmission is, uh, airborne and therefore, uh, transmits usually through aerosols. And so one thing that I found interesting, uh, with our interview with, with Mansell was she talks about how the masks basically, you know, if you're hundred percent of the particles come out that the, the droplets will be 10% of the virus. So like 90% is aerosols, 10% are droplets. And so the masks are catching maybe ten percent of this virus at the at at best, and then the droplets are basically being aerosolized through the mask and dissipating throughout into the so basically almost a hundred percent of the the virus is being spread anyway because you have a mask on yeah the mask right. is doing nothing again the the most interesting thing in my opinion
1: that she brought up and I had never thought about this was and she'll talk about this I don't want to give anything away but just pay attention during the interview. Masks, they're known to have inefficiencies as PPE from an airborne virus and from any viral spread. So there's very strict rules according to OSHA and and other organizations and oversight entities that we have in America on what you're allowed to claim about PPE and what employers are allowed to mandate their employees wear. And they have to show efficacy. They have to demonstrate scientific efficacy of the PPE. You have to wear these gloves when you're dealing with these chemicals, because these gloves are rated to stop chemical burns and reduce it by X amount of this or whatever else. But, By claiming masks were source control instead of personal protective equipment, meaning my mask doesn't protect me, my mask protects you. Now it's not personal protective equipment and therefore is not subject to any efficacy requirements whatsoever. I found that to be really interesting because it didn't make sense. And then all of a sudden it magically did of like, oh, my God, that's why you claim it. Because now you don't have to meet any standards, any rules. And even on children, there are no efficacy rules of children's masks because we've never put masks on kids before. Ever.
0: Yeah. And as as, uh, Megan points out, that there's not even been testing for masks on kids. Like there's 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 zero, no evidence out of it.
1: Right. So you're making the assumption that it works and asking, well, prove that it doesn't. Well, obviously, proving a negative is way easier than proving a positive. So sure. How about it's been a year? We have schools with masks, schools, without masks, schools, with distancing schools, without distancing. And the overall spread at school is still less than one percent, regardless of measures. Makes no difference. Still within the margin of error for the study and taking all the most generous assumptions known to man and there's still no difference in the spread. If anything, the teachers that are fully remote have a higher incidence of spread amongst teachers than the schools that are fully open. If that does not challenge your preconceived notions or at least your absolute belief in the efficacy of masks, I don't know what will.
0: Well... Maybe when Megan talks about how you wear your mask into the bathroom. I don't want to talk about that part. That's all right, we'll let her gross. talk about it. All right, so make sure you <laughs> stay tuned for uh, how your mask is not helping you in the bathroom. Um, all right, so, again, fo- follow Meg Mansell on Twitter. Uh, if you do the Twitter thing, Mamasaurus Meg. Uh, You can also read some of her articles she writes for rationalground.com, so you can read some of her uh, mask uh, breakdowns there. Uh, That site also has a bunch of different uh, data-driven articles about COVID and such, and uh, I find it a a good source of information. So, uh, Mr. Husong, before we get into and finish the show with Meg Mansell, anything you'd like to leave the folks with? no.
1: Right. Uh, just, you know, if you're one of the unclean, just I, I got you in solidarity and I'm all for this new rule because if I want to go to a game, is there, wait, do you have to have a negative COVID test to get in or are they just let me in untested?
0: Uh, you can, you, no, you have to get a t- If you don't, if you're unvaccinated, you have to get a negative test. They're doing that right in the parking lot. Ah, darn it. You got to sign up. I think That's a little less in advance. exciting. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Well, with that, folks, again. I want to thank everybody for tuning in for another uh, show here, uh, live show on Monday. Wait. Yeah.
1: I have a negative COVID test that I simply need to sit six feet away with a mask on. Yeah. Outside.
0: Yeah. You're, un- it's you're so unclean. so much smarter now. You're unclean. It's
1: so much smarter.
0: You're unclean. I hate this place. So on that note, we'll leave it off with uh, PPE expert, Meg Mansell, and we will see you all again next Monday. Uh, thank you for tuning in. personal protective equipment application. She is experienced in writing and monitoring protocol implementation for immunocompromised public sector access under full ADA, OSHA, and IDEA compliance. Ladies and gentlemen, Megan Mansell, a.k.a. Mamasaurus Meg. Megan, thank you for joining Sports Clicks and Politics.
2: Thank you very much for having me today.
0: You're welcome. So, And so I told a little bit of people in the intro kind of what you did, but do you want to kind of break that down more so uh, in a more general sense of what you did?
2: It's it's two completely irrelevant backgrounds that just happen to be relevant right now. Um, but but what matters is we knew uh, how to protect our vulnerable ahead of time. There was be, before. Every- everything COVID-related, we had excellent measures for protecting our truly immunocompromised and profoundly disabled um, as well as our workers under you know pr- protective standards based on particle size and particle behavior. And that's what this really is, is particle size, type, and behavior under pressure and we're failing to look at these really, really tiny particles and see how they behave in addition to looking at our respiratory system and um, in talking about respiratory emissions because it's a huge oversight that our CDC and our World Health Organization and our NIH, we're all just sitting around screaming droplet without looking at you know, respiratory emission rates are 90% in the radically behaving particulate range, which means 90% of what you exhale is under 0.3 microns and doesn't respond predictably to gravity. It's not droplet. It doesn't fall in that predictable six foot arc and it has an 18 to 20 foot trajectory um, which is greater the more pressure you put behind it so if you are are trying to tell somebody that wearing a mask is source control you need to look very closely at the masks themselves and see how they can actually pressurize release into plumes um, which furthers the the trajectory of fine particulates and those fine particulates remain aloft for hours even days in some enclosed spaces. And when you're just trying to, to throw a Band-Aid over the whole thing and, and tell everybody, well, just wear this, you know, expressly non-mitigating apparatus that we just hope is going to work, um, we, we have better physics applications. We have better fluid dynamics applications than what we're seeing, um, you know, presented to everybody. And when you just break it down into those really simple parts like that, it's really easy to see both our flaws and what we should be doing differently. Um, in event of future pathogen, we will pivot back to these exact same failed measures. Um, and if, if we fail to address that, you know, when, when looking at PPE for a given You're you're trying to protect yourself against any given thing. It's minimum viable particle size under pressure. And so the minimum viable particle size for COVID is 0.06 microns. Multiple COVID virion particles can exist in a cluster and still fall in the radically behaving particulate range. So the people who say, well, it's got to be attached to something. It's not just a virion floating out there in space by itself. Sure, But multiple can be bound, and this is a a very low minimal viral load pathogen for transmission. Um, The minimum infective dose varies from person to person, but it's very low um, in comparison to other pathogen. And so, when a very tiny amount of something can kill you, um, if you're that 0.4% of the population, you know, it's a 99.6% survivability pathogen, but if you're that 0.4% of the population, that's 31,200,000 people on a global basis that were are basically just saying, well... Um, you know, hope you don't get it, and, you know, just do your part, and we're all in this together without saying, like, hey, we take your life seriously, we value that you're a vulnerable individual, and we think that you should be getting the correct information uh, to, you know, evaluate your own personal risk and make plans accordingly, because last I checked, you can, you uh, you know get on a tiger and ride it through a flaming hoop off a cliff in california buck naked smoking a joint as long as you're wearing a mask and that's pretty pretty stupid uh pretty stupid public policy
0: so So, and so you were talking about the sizes of the uh, the the particles themselves but but what are masks designed to stop it didn't there i mean i think it says right in the box of the ones that i've like at my work, they said they don't even, uh, they're not designed to, to stop a respiratory illness. But, so go to back to the masks, compare them to, or what are they stopping? Of this, uh, that you said the particle size of the virus was...
2: We'd have to open up a big umbrella here and first address that all masks are not created equal. Um, The reason that surgeons wore surgical masks in surgical settings pre-COVID and since then was not for airborne pathogen mitigation. It was to stop splatter and spray of bodily fluids from getting in their oral and nasal mucosa in conjunction with eye protection. Cloth masks are expressly non-PPE, expressly non-mitigating for airborne pathogen, Were this solely a droplet-based pathogen, they still come with the concern of forced aerosolization of droplet through a membrane, which is the accumulated droplet particle with plosive pressure behind it, which is your exhaled respiratory pressure, um, you know, pushing that droplet through a membrane and the greater the pressure the greater the release of that so you you have to break it down on a mask by mask basis what I would like to completely throw out the window is masks as source control and then get into minimum baseline PPE standards for the particulate range while encouraging people if you're truly vulnerable don't go with the baseline minimum go big or stay home Um, it's it's really that simple you you shouldn't try to hope your way through life um being really unspecific when it's something that could kill you um as a as an individual and then you know looking at you know well if we step aside from masks for a second and we look at environs control measures of dilution and destruction um you see a lot more people having success in mitigating airborne pathogen through using those techniques. And and that can be, um, you know, HVAC adjustments, opening windows, opening doors, just anything you can do to increase um, circulation of air in shared spaces. Um, We also got into this whole, like, Mask break thing, and in an actual containment setting, if you took a mask break you would be considered exposed <laughs> and and so you know they, they do it for comfort but the whole reason you see people in the masks that they're in to begin with is based in comfort, not in the reality of actually doing something for pathogenic spread, which is what this is supposed to all be aimed at in the first place. Um, and so, you know, just you you have health departments still handing out hand sanitizer for an airborne pathogen. You have people commingling identified vulnerable individuals with the general population because we've said, well, you know, just wear a mask. And, and people seem to think that, that, that anything will do with a particulate this small. And... Um, the, the, the absolute baseline minimum for um, COVID-sized particulates is N95 or higher grade respirators plus eye protection. But even those have been shown to have less than 80% actual effectiveness. Um, the 95 in N95 is for 95% of particulate blocked. But um, even Stephen Petty is able to show if you have a 3.2% leakage, then your efficacy is, is down to about zero. So um, you, you, what you have to, to look at is, is the fit of them um, as well as whether or not they're being used in conjunction with eye protection. And like I said, those are the bare bones, baseline minimum, not the gold standard that everybody s- seems to think they are. What I think that we had at the beginning was a supply chain issue. and you you know in95 supply chain issue. And so, people got this, like, do-gooder thing where they're saying, well, you know, maybe anything will be better than nothing, but we've not only shown that, you know, cloth masks have 97% particle penetration, uh, surgical, 44% particles penetration. That's not helping you with a low viral load pathogen. And so, instead of pivoting and saying you shouldn't be trying to use anything subgrade because it's expressly non-mitigating, you had people trying to keep workforce is going um, with your essential workforce and you'll find that those are the people who really got um, the whole cloth mask thing pushed on them so that you know you could keep the, the ball rolling and, and they were told well no it's not for protecting you it's for protecting others to circumvent OSHA so um, I, I think that's a real concern that, that needs to be addressed going forward
0: and so I, I saw a conversation, I think it was on Twitter, between you and Kevin McKernan. And it, it, it led me to, and they were talking about how the uh, uh, you were worried about the masks, basically, I feel like aerosolizing the droplets. And basically, they were, you know, the, and, and it, it led me to this question where I started asking people, and I'm going to ask it to you just because I'm, I'm looking for finally somebody that might be able to answer it. And so I asked that, is that droplet trapped in your mask permanently or, with each successive breath, is that droplet aerosolized, made smaller, and then expelled from your mask either back into the air or into your lungs? So,
2: so Zacharias Fogan gets really deeply into how um, the particulates on the inside of the mask can become unbound from droplet um, to be nebulized back into your lungs. So, um, there, are, there are quite a few cycling concerns with, okay, your exhaling, your, your general respiration changes when you're wearing a mask from when you're not wearing a mask. Normally, you have, uh, you, you breathe mostly through your nose and you don't breathe really all that deeply unless you're undergoing a, a strenuous activity. So, um, the the harder you're breathing through your mouth, the more you're pulling. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they have that mask pop into their mouth when they're inhaling, like they're sucking in? Well, you're sucking in and you're you're creating pressure from that membrane to pull in anything stuck to it or through it. They're also excellent breeding grounds for secondary yeah. pathogen in this moist, porous environment right in front of your your mouth and nose and um people also wear them into bathrooms frequently where they pick up flush matter from toilet plumes and lay them down on other surfaces and then put them right back on their face and breathe through them so all of those things you can break through break through with respiratory pressure as well um, and so you both have the, the pressurized release where the more fitted a mask is around your your mouth and nose, the greater the pressure behind the membrane of the particulate that you're pushing through. So I, I hope that answers that for you.
1: So, Megan, I think uh, there's a con- maybe a misconception, but it's a conception of the reason that masks work is because as you breathe out, the virus is attached to the droplets. The droplets go about six feet. So that's why we spread out. And if you breathe out, the droplets are then restricted in their movement. They can't get as far. And nobody's saying they're perfect, but at least they block something. Mm-hmm. You use the word with which I'm completely unfamiliar, and I'm hoping you can expand on that because I think that answers the question. You said random particulate something. Oh,
2: um, okay. I was talking about particulate ranges. And 90% of exhaled particulates are in the radically behaving particulate range. So yeah, it's it's- radically behaving particular range so there's a threshold uh when you get under 0.3 microns um you need to account for something called brownian motion of fine particulates which is um this random bouncy behavior it's no longer responding predictably to gravity under that threshold and so that's 0.3 microns and then covid at the minimum particle size of 0.06 microns falls well under that range and Still fall under that range.
1: So it's five times smaller than the minimum threshold for it to be, for the mask to basically be effective. And I, I'm using that's
2: not that's not the threshold for masks to be effective. That's the um that's the particle range. Now most masks most most commercially available respirators filter exhale at four microns. So you can get sixty six ferion <laughs> particles in a single cluster at. You know, with each particle being exhaled, and, and when the the minimum infective dose is assumed to be somewhere between ten and a hundred virions, in some places some people say up to a thousand. What I think it really depends on more is individual health, because some people can have a, a, a higher exposure and still no, still never contract um, the illness. I think you know what you need to realize is it's it's just it. Firmly lays it out that they're not effective as source control. That's, I'm sorry, that's go
1: ahead. Okay. I was going to say if uh, if you can go into this source control. Okay. So massive source control is what's been pushed in. I think I understood what you said. That the reason they said that is because otherwise they would have been bound by OSHA requirements yeah. to prove efficacy. But because it's source control, and it's, I'm not doing it to protect me, I'm doing it to protect you. It doesn't meet that definition. So can you just talk a little bit about that and about why it's not good for source control?
2: Okay, so it, and, and maybe other than telling you why it's not source control, maybe it would be easier if I showed you because, um, and, and this is an important thing, when... People are saying, okay, well, I'm going to start with a a a vented N95 respirator. And people are going to say, well, why would you talk about that? We know not to use vented N95 respirators. But this is the actual plume of an N95 respirator. And these are used, and I'll I'll pull up another picture here in a second, these are regularly used uh, uh, at test sites. And so you have the people most likely in contact With Novel Pathogen, breathing that pressurized plume I just showed you directly over your testing materials straight into your car window. There is also a plume with unvented N95s that comes out of the, the nose. Um, cloth and surgical masks, you can see if they're they're very fitted, it goes through in an outward plume. And if they're not very fitted, if they're loose, then then it takes the path of least resistance right out the sides, right up the nose. Um, and in the sclerian, sclerian imaging or the, um, the smoke, um, um, Emily, I'm trying to think of her last name, um, there's there's a really good video Um, let me look her up really quick Um, there's a really good video series that Emily Burns did, Um, Emily Burns on Twitter um, did all of these different masks and so she would show the um, exhale emitted particulate range for cigarette smoke and then exhale through them so you could see all of the different, with different masks, with different respirators you can clearly see all of the, um, you know exhale positions on them and, and show that you know this is not effective source control and back to that particle size and particle range, ninety percent of particles are in that under 0.3 micron range. So really what you're saying is we're trying to just mitigate ten percent of your exhaled particulates, which if we do this wrong, can then become the other ninety percent. That so does that make sense? You have 90% of exhaled particulates that cloth and surgical masks do nothing for. Uh, Well, cloth and surgical masks are especially non-mitigated for this pathogen range anyway. But the droplet that everybody has been so concerned about only makes up for about 10% of exhaled respiratory emissions to begin with and can become the aerosolized one due to the the pressure and aerosolization through a membrane.
1: Because my cloth mask, as it turns out, is not a force field that immediately kills the virus and it gets there?
2: It's not magical. <laughs> it's really disappointing. People really want you to think that they possess these magical powers with this old material that was laying around that you're graining it up, but, or, you know, sewed up, or, or whatever. But they're they're never sterile, and you'll hear people say, well, well, I wash them frequently. Well, okay, you can wash them all day long, but they never were helpful with this pathogen range. To
0: begin with. So why are you so attached to it? Can we we, we go further with the masks and and just go to a specific uh, vector is the kids, right? So, like, we have these mask mandates in New York. Um, um, Ben has kids in the system here. Uh, I don't know, maybe Ben would like to to expound on this a little bit. But, you know, start with masks on children and uh we'll let ben have a follow-up after that if you'd like to meg
2: okay so i think for starters you know there's nothing else out there where you could say hey i'm going to require a child to put this in front of their mouth and nose for eight to 12 hours a day but here's the kicker it's completely untested it's completely unregulated we have no efficacy standards for any child size masks They have, you know, children are, I I, I have three lovely children, but they're disgusting in the things that they'll do, um, you know, throughout the day when you're closely watching them. And if you have a class of 26 children that you're responsible for keeping on top of all day in an expressly non-mitigating apparatus for which there are no uh, regulatory standards or, or testing history, the, I, I just want you to show me anything else that we have have required um, this kind of imposing measure on children in the past. Because if you were to set it up as an ethics review and say, okay. We're gonna put you in this apparatus for eight to twelve hours a day. It's not tested. It's not regulated. No two are gonna be alike. They don't actually mitigate what we're trying to mitigate. However, they do um, cause deoxygenation and hypercapnia. Your child will incl- will be um, inhaling microbial, um, pathogenic growth on the on the mask as well as the fibers of the mask themselves. Also you we're going to remove your medical consent and medical clearance from the conversation because you know workplace respirator use requires medical consent and medical clearance but we're not going to do that this time um, of course, that wouldn't pass an ethics review <laughs> because it's ridiculous, and it's ridiculous to to try to put these things on children when children are the the least likely to even be affected by this. Um, the the case infection rate for children is very low, um, and children. I'm really tired of hearing how resilient children are. Children are not resilient. Children have developmental milestones that if unmet can take years to remediate if capable of doing so at all. Um, You have to be able to see tooth, tongue, and lip placement for linguistic onset and development and the full face for social cue development that you learn from your caregivers as a baby. Um, This will definitely see people presenting children who they think are showing signs of autism spectrum disorder who have just missed these language and social development milestones, but So much of autism spectrum diagnoses rely on parent reporting and observation, and they will present exactly the same as a genuine ASD diagnosis. Um, So I I think that there are just some really big concerns when it comes to what what we're trying to push on children, and this sets a terrible precedent for anything experimental on our youth to come. Um, you know, just the, the whole consent and, um, you know, th- there are just, there is a laundry list of qualifying exemptions for the public sector under ADA. And that that people are having to fight tooth and nail just to breathe freely from a completely non-mitigating, untested, unregulated apparatus blows my mind.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on my children are all wonderful and they're all disgusting little Petri dishes and germs <laughs> that are roaming around. And I want, they wear a mask every day and they don't really complain. And I basically have said to them, look, you got to wear it, take it off as soon as you can take it off whenever you can. These are the rules right now. But I watch my son. I know how gross he is. He's eight, like all eight year olds. He, he's gross. He, he touches everything. He's, he's into everything. And then he grabs his mask. He drops his mask. He steps on his mask, picks it up, puts it on his face. You said there's no standard. So I guess I want to clarify that a little bit, at least on the mask that I have to wear. It has to meet certain standards of, I don't know the proper wording here, but blockage from things coming in for it to be deemed a medical mask. Do I have that right?
2: Well, for it to be considered mitigating for a given pathogen or particulate range, it would have to meet different standards under OSHA. Um, OSHA and NIOSH standards are what, what most people would rely on here within the U.S., now surgical masks are only for, for barrier protection against splatter and spray. They're solely droplets, expressly non-mitigating for airborne. So even medical masks are, are not considered mitigating um, under these circumstances. And so when I'm talking about regulation, there every single mask that you see on a child's face has not passed any kind of regulatory standards for being safe for use or effective for use. And that's why I'm talking about efficacy percentages because um, I can say, you know, it, it, it one of the things that I pivot too often is our mitigation during the AIDS crisis. Had we said, you know, just saran wrap or... Any old thing will do, just knit something up. Uh, we, we basically find ourselves in the same position we have now because what is deadly to a given person if exposed we need to be giving them really specific information so they can make the proper decisions. So during the age crisis, when they came out and said, okay, latex only with 98% efficacy, uh, don't use with oil because that degrades the membrane and can decrease efficacy, that was important information for people to get. It was also important for them to say, you know, Leave lambskin out of the conversation because those are too porous. They do block sperm, but don't block HIV. Um, this this is a, a a really important public mitigation measure where we had to be incredibly specific with PPE, with prophylaxis, in order to to get to a place where we were saving lives in a meaningful capacity with the use of this apparatus. And we've never gotten anywhere close to publicly addressing those standards with COVID because I believe it has more to do with the supply chain issue. And the supply chain issue also created a caste system where, you know, in hospitals and in workplaces, the real good... PPE was given to the people deemed irreplaceable, and it was it was as though when you went down a rung, that these are all human beings, and all lives that are. You know, wor- worthy and meaningful. Only the people deemed irreplaceable got the good stuff, and the other people had to either make something or use surgical masks, which are um, wh- which are, are OSHA workplace violations that I just don't think people knew um, to blow the whistle on. Quite quite frankly. And OSHA reporting has to come from the employee uh, being forced to wear the non-mitigating apparatus to begin with. And so you can't go into a place and say, I see 20 people wearing a non-mitigating apparatus here. I want to make a complaint. It has to come directly from the employee. And they can do that anonymously. But most people don't even know that that's a thing or why. They, they don't understand Specifically, where their rights um, in in the public sector for workplaces are being violated.
1: That Um, makes sense. So I want to confirm or or clarify something that you said earlier, and then I got one more question. Sure. um, You said N95 is named that because it's supposed to block 95% of the particulates. I, I might be misusing that word. I apologize.
2: No, no, that's okay.
1: And then you said that anything that blocks less than 97%, I think it was 3 and change percent, that can get through, makes the efficacy drop to practically zero.
2: No, no, no. I was saying that cloth masks have 97% particle penetration. That means they only hold out 3%. In some tests that have been done, they've been shown to let through 97 percent of particulates, which should say that this is this is not helping here. Um, and so the the other part to the N95, I was just saying why there's a 95 on N95, and it's and and actually the particle range of COVID um, isn't included in the N95 of the particulate range that they block. But because they are a non-woven mask, and instead they're kind of like if you took a bunch of glue between your hands and stretch your hands apart, there's all of these um, kind of little places that things can get lodged in them. And so that's that's what they're trying to um, express with ni- in 95s is that they're of the of the PPE range that is the baseline minimum that can trap particulates that are in that uh, Brownian motion that need to be accounted for, if that makes sense. And then then there's far higher grades as well. There's um, P100 masks. And then there's also um, face piece respirators or fully integrated units. It it doesn't stop at masks. The respirators, um, you know, in- what kind of, if you're trying to block a, a pathogen, or if you're trying to block a particulate, or a noxious vapor, these all have different standards for workplace use. Um, and so, knowing that there are, you know, this is not a one-size-fits-all field by any means, um, and so just failing to be really specific with particulate behavior um, in, in relation to what you're trying to mitigate has gotten us um, to a really unfortunate place. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: uh, hard to argue that point. Um, so I guess here's my, my last question I have for you is who should be wearing a mask? What type of mask? And when slash where should they be wearing? When would a mask be effective in this particular battle, and that doesn't mean 100 percent effective by any means. Sure. I just mean I hear a lot like, "Well, if it saves one life, it's so little; it could say it can help a little." When is that? When does it actually help?
2: It only helps if you're the person who has it on your face, and you're wearing the correct particulate range, uh, the correct PPE for particulate range. And like I was saying, I would personally, if I were personally concerned, you wouldn't find me kitted out in anything under, you know, P100 pocket face piece respirator with eye protection in very um, distanced, Uh, Open spaces during non-peak hours had I any reason to go into public. What, What I think we should be addressing is people identifying whether or not they are personally vulnerable. And talking about other methods that are far more effective um, like osmotic immigration, which is using um, testing or strategic quarantine to access vulnerable populations or individuals where you're either quarantining in absolute for 8 to 14 days, which is the current CDC guideline for onset of this given pathogen, or using testing to access those populations for short periods of time. Um, for new intake of a vulnerable individual within a given population, they would need to go under uh, undergo absolute quarantine because you would not know um, a, a test can indicate that a uh, viral load is not high enough for um just a daily interaction for a short period of time but if you have an intake of a new person into a population you don't know if they're still in dormant stages before actual onset of being of having enough of a systemic viral load to flag positive And so if you're truly a vulnerable individual, if you truly consider yourself part of that 0.4% of the population unable to, um, you know, survive this, I'd first ask you, do you want added protection? Because I think consent is part of the conversation, even if you are a vulnerable individual. And if you are, then I would, you know, for school systems try to push you toward tiered protected groupings where you're not commingling with the general population. Um, It could easily be staffed in under hospital homebound designations to create tiered protected groupings where um, there's a a specific behavioral protocol and a specific interaction protocol um, uh, that would be very limited and you could use testing strategic before meeting in person with those groups. Um, But for, you know, actually wearing PPE, if you're a vulnerable person who can't survive this, there are probably other respiratory pathogens that are are equally dangerous to you. And... you would have to look at the the health of the individual are they vulnerable because they're already having breathing difficulties well if putting a restrictive device on you um, lowers your oxygen intake and increases your co2 exposure we might make be making you worse off by putting you in an apparatus than your health was to begin with and so uh, i it, it's hard for me to pivot and say go to this mask if you're vulnerable because even if you're if you're truly vulnerable there are many better options than than masks for personal protection and a lot of it has to do with behavior a lot of it has to do with failing to commingle with mixed populations especially during peak hours here you have people who have isolated for eight nine months who were saying well you know i can go back in public now because i have this this magic mask on my face and and you know those people are being exposed to things that um can kill them during these current practices And, and i think we need to get away from that um, and and just bring individual liberty back into the conversation, where um, you know you you should be able to make decisions for your children. You should be able to wake up tomorrow and say, "I'm not sending my child in this," you know, complete fabrication of of, of helpfulness. Um, and and you know, in 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 thinking of the. Trauma, long term. That we we have a year that this has been going on for. This point, you you can tell me that something might not have been hurtful long term if it ever had been fourteen days, but I don't even think that fourteen days ever began. Um, and and so now we're we're in an uh, at this point we we have actual developmental delays to be concerned about we have actual linguistic issues to be concerned about as well as the the health challenges of you know i I don't know how many people i've had message me and say my children are now experiencing terrible headaches from having to wear these or facial acne or dental problems and and it's because these these are untested and unregulated and, and never intended For for long-term wear. And for people in workplaces who have to wear PPE for an extended period of time... um the oxygen saturation becomes of great concern. You end up in PPE with an independent airline coming in if you're going to be engaged in strenuous activity. Um, And so these these schools mandating children wear masks or double masks to run, um, these are incredibly dangerous practices that we've got to put an end to.
0: Megan I want to thank you again for your time before I let you go I want to make sure that there's nothing that we didn't miss or didn't we cover enough uh, something else you want to fill in the folks with uh, before we let you go
2: um I just think that you should spend some time looking at, at the data of what you know the mass manda- mandating districts versus non-mandating districts in addition to just um, what the, the data is actually saying in these applications across the U.S. Um, Rational Ground is a website that I write for and they are excellent at keeping on top of data on a daily basis. Um, and there are data dashboards um, on their website I would, I would really recommend looking into. Um, on there. And and I've written a, a reopening guide both for the public sector and for schools in general and have um, a ton of resources available on my Twitter page which is uh, at Mamasaurus Meg um, M-A-M-A-S-A-U-R-U-S Meg, M-E-G and I try to get back with everybody. I'm a, I'm a zero inbox kind of girl. But, um, you know, there a lot of people out there have questions and you should be Because if if something just strikes you as, well, you know, this this doesn't all add up. We've been trying this for a really long time, and they keep saying that things are getting worse. Maybe it's time to start asking questions and push back, Um, even if you're the only one. I was at a school board meeting in Tallahassee last week. I was the only person who showed up to that meeting. And there were 14 people viewing it online at that time. And I'm now up to over 575,000 views online. So just because you're local people who are acting, you know, all woke and... uh don't don't care to show up and show out for kids doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who don't completely agree with you that this is a civil liberties issue um, alongside a, a true misapplication of particle physics in regards to PPE in the public sector integration laws that um, are are meant to protect us and uh, from from such tomfoolery. So. Um. <laughs>
0: I, again, I appreciate all the information, all the time that you've given. Um, I, you know, if you're, you're going to be the only one showing up at a, uh, at a town board meeting, I think that, uh, that the town board meeting is still on the, uh, the negative side of that outcome. So I appreciate your work. Um, follow Meg at, uh, Rational Ground. She's got work there. And again, follow her on Twitter, Mamasaurus Meg, uh, Megan
2: Mansel. Thank you again for your time.